1: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 173. Remember me. Welcome
0: into another episode of Mission Log, a
2: Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we pick apart an episode of Star Trek to find out if it still stands up and if there are important lessons to be learned. At least that was the mission given to us by Rod Roddenberry. Who? Rod. You know, executive producer. Creator of Mission Log. Son of Gene Roddenberry, no? Mm, No. No. Come on. Fun guy. Goes to conventions. uh, Has a kid. Lives in the house. You've been to his house? It's No, it doesn't... Doesn't ring a bell. And look, I'd really appreciate
0: it if you wouldn't mess with my head right before you do a show. It's not cool.
2: Okay, show. Right. Okay. How is it that you think that we uh, started doing this show? Yeah, it's
0: totally logical. We both, uh, we both like Star Trek, we both do podcasts, and then
2: uh, we decided to do a show. On our own? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, this week, remember me. Remember who? Remember me. It's the title of the episode that we're doing. I'm sorry.
0: What's the episode you speak of?
2: All right. I'm going to do contact information. um, And while I'm doing that, why don't you uh, get ready for trivia? Okay, cool. Um, Who are you and why are you telling me what to do? (laughs) Yeah. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype and Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love that. You can give us a call, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at com. Our show website, including discovered Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log.
0: All right. Today's episode, Remember Me, was written by Lee Sheldon. Now, Lee was around as a producer for the first eight episodes of season four. He came from a TV background, Charlie's Angels, Quincy, M.E., Cagney, and Lacey. After Star Trek, he moved into the video game industry where he has been a producer, writer, and occasionally an actor. Now, this story was originally conceived as one of the subplots for Family. We talked about uh, that when we did Family, about how one of the criticisms of that script from Gene Roddenberry was that there wasn't enough sci-fi in the episode. Ultimately, it was decided that this story could stand on its own as well as the story that became Family. Now, in one early draft, uh, it was all a dream And in another draft, it was just solving the mechanical problem at the end of the episode. It was only much later that it was decided to bring in the
2: Traveler. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. That that was
0: not a first choice.
2: Because the Traveler was in, like, what, the the second or third episode? Yeah, he was in season one early on. Yeah, of Next Gen. And then he's like, oh, this is going to be important. And then (laughs) uh, nothing for a very long time.
0: Well, Michael Piller was the one who figured that he wanted to bring The Traveler back, and mm. um, but th- the script had already gone through so many drafts before he kind of said it like, oh yeah, it's obvious we should have The Traveler come back for this. Mm. Um, the episode is directed by Cliff Bull, and of course we've talked about Cliff's many contributions many times before, and there are more to come. Um, I wanted to point out the special effects here. All of the Starbase effects uh, that we see in this show are from the episode 11001001. Um, they only made a very slight change to the color of the planet below Starbase to differentiate this from the Starbase we saw in that other episode. Um, but I did really want to point out there's a composite fact, uh, effect that's in the teaser. Um, it's a matte painting plus model work plus live action. It's just one of those shots that, you know, I paused several times and stand to death in standard def and HD. Now, in HD, of course, they, they cleaned it up quite a bit, and there's a bit of sweetening going on. If you take a look, they did things like they added a faint glow to the impulse engines and the warp nacelles. It's a really nice reuse of the effect, but just plussing it a little bit to give it some new life for the uh, HD transfers. And uh, here's a bit of trivia that I think most people know, but still worth pointing out. Um, Gates McFadden did all of her own stunts for this episode. And then she found out she was pregnant (laughs) shortly thereafter. Yeah. Um, It's a very physical episode for her. And it, it was literally right after this that she found out she was pregnant. And that would be with her son, James, who was born in 1991. And finally, guest stars. Well, as we mentioned, we do get to welcome back Eric Minyuk as The Traveler. We first met him in Where No One Has Gone Before, and we talked about his career shift from acting going into legal practice. And also, we have Bill Irwin as Dr. Dalen Quace. Now, Irwin was born in Texas in 1914 and racked up an impressive array of credits until his death in 2010. He is extremely recognizable. And everyone in our audience has no doubt seen him in at least something else. Early credits include live TV and the various Playhouse shows. He moved on to Bit Parts in uh, I Love Lucy, Wagon Train, Leave it to Beaver, some bigger roles in The Texan, Rawhide, The Andy Griffith Show. He made four appearances on The Twilight Zone including Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up, which kind of borrows a plot element from the 1944 film Lifeboat. And in that Twilight Zone episode, he is uh, paired up with John Hoyt, who played Dr. Boyce in The Cage. Later credits include Wild Wild West, The FBI, Gunsmoke, and he appeared in a movie that I've mentioned before that I like, Somewhere in Time. And let's not forget Seinfeld. Suddenly Susan, mad about you, my name is Earl, and yes... Moonlighting. So it
2: sounds like we'll be talking about him on at least three other podcasts that we do at some point.
0: Yep, you got it.
1: Is it just me? Or was the beginning of this episode of Mission Log one click away from the Abbott and Costello who is on first routine?
0: Prologue. Captain's Log. Well, wait, strike that. Chief Medical Officer's Log. The Enterprise has returned to Starbase same as the other Starbase. To change out some crew and welcome aboard Beverly Crusher's mentor and old friend, Dr. Dalen Quace. He's the most amiable old chap, and he's returning home after his wife passed away. Too many painful memories of her at his current assignment. The two talk about the passage of time, growing older, losing someone close you know, small talk. Meanwhile, Wesley is really teeing off Geordie LaForge. More precisely, he's doing some kind of warp field experiment and Geordie is done with it. He wants his engines back. Beverly dropped by for a second to say hi, but in an instant as Wesley's experiment fails, there's a quick flash of light and we walked away. Or, or did she? Well, she's no longer in the room. When we catch up with her, she's going to meet Dr. Quace for breakfast, but he's not in his quarters. In fact, the computer informs her that there is no Dr. Dalen Quace aboard the Enterprise. Act 1, with Dr. Quace nowhere to be found, Beverly alerts Lieutenant Worf. He'll do a search, and as is his duty, he'll let the captain know what's going on. All the right things are done, checking the transporter logs, calling Starbase. Captain Picard stops Beverly, though, a little miff that he wasn't informed about the arrival of Dr. Quace. She insists that she sent him an email about it weeks ago and got approval. Must have gone into a spam folder. It gets weirder, though. Starbase has no record of Dr. Quace, and Starfleet has no record of Dr. Quace. Beverly insists that she knows him. She interned with him on Delos 4, where you can take the vacation of the future today. He's nowhere to be found. No body, no record. Even Chief O'Brien has no memory of him beaming up. He just remembers Beverly stepping into the transporter room alone, maybe looking a little confused, and said, thank you. There was no one else with her. Act 2. Everyone is still pretty much on Beverly's side. They didn't believe that she could be wrong, so while the replicator records are being checked, she'll check out Chief O'Brien to make sure he's not... insane? In sickbay, she requests Dr. Hill and Dr. Silar, and the computer can't find them either. In fact, the computer probably hasn't seen Dr. Silar in exactly 47 episodes, but regardless, there isn't a trace of them or four other members of the medical staff. Down in engineering, young Wesley Crusher is still tinkering, but this is important tinkering, so he calls the captain. That whole warp bubble experiment, it kind of had something to do with what he was doing way back when Kaczynski and the Traveler were on board. It was a glitch, uh, a warp bubble that kind of lost stability and flashed outward from the Enterprise warp core. If Dr. Quace was caught in it, then he could have, putting it politely, disappeared. See, also, ways to get killed by a warp core accident. Or maybe he's just in another space-time continuum. Maybe he's got a goatee if he's there. But he wasn't in engineering at the time. Beverly returns to sickbay to find it eerily quiet. There's no one in there, not even her medical staff. She reports this to the bridge, but data reminds her that on this ship, with only 230 total crew, she is the only medical officer. Beverly is getting more and more confused, and Picard invites her in for a cup of tea. She checked herself out medically, and she's okay. She doesn't get what's going on, and she assures Picard that she'll talk to Deanna Troy. Before she leaves, though, Beverly begs Picard to turn the ship around and return to Starbase. He agrees, noting that her word has always been good enough for him. In sickbay, very strangely, some kind of anomaly opens up right in the wall. Flash of light, special effects, big whoosh, Beverly nearly gets sucked in. Act 3, the science is being tacked and the tech is being scienced. Stuff is getting real. Geordi is sure the warp bubble experiment was contained in engineering. The computers check out. Even other ships in the area report nothing weird. Beverly asks if all the crew of the Enterprise are accounted for. Yep, all 113. That is definitely not right, and Beverly asked Picard to have Worf monitor the vitals of everyone on board. Who shouldn't monitor them? Worf. Oh, uh, now he's missing too, and the only person who remembers him is Beverly. In a corridor, Beverly asks Niana about her sanity. The doctor is worried that she's remembering all sorts of people that now no one else remembers. In fact, she remembers that she hasn't seen Wesley recently and rushes off to engineering. Wesley says he's been working on the warp bubble mystery, but Kaczynski wasn't much help. Big surprise there. But they will try to contact uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Traveler Tristramontro Tristan Traveler Traveler the Traveler that was the alien from Tau Alpha C, not Robert E Lee's horse. Maybe he'll know what's going on, but it could take a really long time to hear from him. And in an instant, Wesley has disappeared. Beverly makes her way to find Picard and literally no one else. The ship is empty except for him. And Beverly tries so hard to convince him that this reality isn't right, that they need to find the traveler to fix whatever this phenomenon is. To test it all, Beverly requests that Picard have the computer monitor his vital stats. As they talk, we hear a readout of his heart rate, blood pressure, temperature, etc. And just as Beverly might say something meaningful about their relationship, it stops. There is no more Picard to monitor. Then, before you know it, flash of light, special effects, big whoosh, Beverly almost gets sucked into some kind of anomaly again right there on the bridge. She holds on, but slowly the vortex fades out, and we hear Geordie and Wesley voices on the other side. The warp bubble collapses, and a defeated Wesley Crusher reports that he has lost her. Then who should beam in quite unexpectedly? The Traveler himself. Act four, all that stuff that happened from Beverly's perspective. Okay, let's rewind a little. This whole time in the alt slash parallel slash non-warp bubble manipulated world, the rest of the crew of the Enterprise has been trying to rescue her. Those vortexes that opened up out of nowhere, yeah, those were a lifeline, but she didn't know it. Now, the Traveler is on the case, and he's saying some words that no one really gets it, especially Riker. But the Traveler tells Wesley that he's there to help him help Beverly. They can do the work, but she must choose to meet them on the other side. Meanwhile, in her own reality, Beverly is trying to make sense out of the nonsensical. She keeps asking questions of the computer. How many crew members are on board? One. What is the mission of the Enterprise? To explore. Can she do that on her own? No. The only logical thing to do is to lay in a course for Tau Alpha C, but as soon as the command is given, the computer no longer has Tau Alpha C as a destination. There is no such place. In the real universe, the Traveler has the Enterprise return to Starbase 133 to the exact location where the initial accident took place. A good trick if you assume all objects in the galaxy are always moving. He has Wesley look past the numbers, and Wesley says something like, "But with the blast shield down, I can't even see sh doesn't matter. just be man on her side of the universe. Beverly's world is closing in on her literally the whole universe is nothing more than a seven hundred meter energy field around the enterprise. Now, if you were to see that warp bubble from the other side, the one that Beverly perceives as an energy mass around the ship." there would be the same bad news. It's collapsing. Act 5. The warp bubble is the universe. I just blew your mind. And Beverly is trapped in it. The more it collapses, the more it's crushing the Enterprise. Life support will be gone. Everything will be gone, including Beverly. In real engineering, Wesley closes his eyes again. He lets go of his feelings while uh, Obi-Wan... The the traveler guides him to just feel that tech all over the place. Beverly, in her shrinking world, is putting the pieces together. She realizes that her thought of losing the people she cares about created her universe when the warp bubble accident occurs. She posits an idea to the ship's computer, which is still being very helpful as all existence is closing in around it. In theory, a stable threshold between warp bubbles could be formed, Oh yeah, and it would uh, look like an atmospheric disturbance. Now Beverly knows. That vortex that kept chasing her down was actually Wesley on the other end trying to find her. The original experiment was conducted in engineering, so Beverly is going to have to hightail it down there while parts of the ship disappear around her. Wesley and the traveler are concentrating so hard, and then flash of light, special effects, big whoosh, Beverly jumps right through that vortex and into her own reality. Wesley collapses from the stress. But how are you, Beverly? And how are you, Traveler? Oh, totally fine. And you? Oh, yeah, uh, Wesley. He's tired. But the universe must be right, because the ship's complement is now 1014, including Dr. Quace. The end.
2: Shouldn't Wesley's experiment have been happening on the holodeck?
0: You know, I had a similar thought to that. <laughs> it was it was interesting. I kind of liked how the warp bubble experiment is something they're doing in the ship with people around while they're in starbase
2: yeah and when they're getting ready to leave yeah <laughs> right. dude seriously i gotta go have you uh have you screwed up the universe yet <laughs> or have you not <laughs> screwed up the universe because because we got a motor well yeah. not motor but you know <laughs> we gotta <laughs> right. we gotta propel
0: yeah, it's bad timing. Yeah, it bad seems timing like. all around. It, and, and Wesley should do all that stuff on a computer in the holodeck because the holodeck can do some great experimental work. You know a- that
2: absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, especially with the computer at its side or running mm-hmm. it or whatever. Mm-hmm. I love the right. I love the whole thing. Like, hey, what would a what would a what would a thing from one theoretical <laughs> universe to another look like? And the computer's like, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> and, and Beverly's like, guess. And the computer's like, Ah, well, like what you think. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can't do that. Do it anyway. Okay.
2: No, well, then, yeah, it looks like Uh, this. Whatever. Why don't you tell me? Why don't you tell me what it would look like, and I'll tell you if you're right. (laughs) Right. Says the computer.
0: (laughs) Does everyone on the ship record a log? I think so. I mean... I kind of like it when we hear from someone other than the captain, but I wondered if it's a requirement, like literally. And, you know, after you go through the lesson about eating things you find on a planet, Mm -hmm. then the next lesson is, okay. every single person from the top down down to the janitor, you all have to record a log every day.
2: Well, we have heard the captain's log. We've heard the first officer's log. I want to say we've heard Data do one, but I don't know if that's when he was acting first officer Oh, yeah. Or yeah. if he just keeps one all the time. I don't know that we've heard security officer yet, but I sort of like the idea of like all the way down to, you know, uh, the KP people. It's know? us. Like, uh, it's us, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, KP yeah. officers, log supplemental. More dead, potatoes. <laughs> also, John was mean to me today. I'm daydreaming of having him beamed off the ship at random times. Hey, whoa. Huh? Whoa. Hey, it's my log. You can't. <laughs> oh, it is public record, though, isn't it? You never know who's well, going to be listening.
0: <laughs> Who goes through that stuff? Right, exactly. Like somebody's got to listen to that. Yeah. Can we just please not hire more people to listen to people's logs? That seems like a huge waste of resources. You know, the other thing I'm wondering about is
2: do they actually do they write it out or do they say it? Because right. like right. I'm, I'm thinking about The Shining.
0: Yeah. All work yeah. and
2: no play makes Jack a dull boy. You know, it's like like do you do you get Barclays? <laughs> long and it's just like i hate all these people i hate all these people i hate all these people and is he walking around saying that or is he typing it or how does that
0: i i think they must be saying it like i i kind of think about um uh, i thought it was so cool that in the original battlestar galactica you would see adama talking into a computer and then they'd cut to the computer screen as it's typing out what he's saying Whoa. And in 1978 that yeah. was mind-blowing absolutely okay. But a couple of years before that, you had in Space 1999, they would cut to uh, Dr. Helena Russell, uh, Barbara Bain's character, and she would be doing her log, but it's hilarious because she had this giant recorder. It was about the size of a mini fridge, <laughs> and it had a microphone on it, and that was her device. Like, everything else in the medical lab was sleek, it was cutting edge, you know, but then this thing to record her log was just giant.
2: Have you ever like, seen uh, First Spaceship on Venus? no yeah a a product i believe of the soviet union in the 1950s or maybe early 1960s i only know it because it was on mystery science theater 3000 i've got to see this but they have uh, a there's a guy who's walking around keeping a log and he's talking into just like this little basically it's like a little microphone like remember the gene rayburn microphone from match game oh yeah yeah yeah, so a little bit smaller than that but of course on mystery science theater 3000 they just have him talking to his electric toothbrush <laughs> you're the that's only true. one who understands me magic toothbrush anyway
0: <laughs> that's great so I, I many this, different
2: so ways to record that. your thoughts i guess nobody's really going to be sitting in the middle of a in the middle of their quarters with a typewriter typing in all they work might. and no play makes um
1: what was Mark barclay's Lee. first na- what was Mark his
2: first Leo. name reg Reg. all work it's and no Ridge. play makes reg and boy <laughs> right. um
0: There's a line uh, that Beverly says to Worf about trying to find Dr. Quace. She says, your sensors wouldn't detect him if he were dead. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wait a minute, I I, I think a dead body detector is one of the first things that a sensor on board the Enterprise could and should do, even a regular tricorder. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Dr. McCoy would use a tricorder and then pronounce, he's dead, Jim.
2: Well, but he'd be standing over a body at the time. Yeah, you, it's not like he was on the bridge think? looking at his tricorder going, oh, somebody's dead.
0: Okay, but you would think that of all the sensors on your prize that monitor yeah. things like uh, you know, air quality and radiation and all that, one of those would be like, oh, there's a dead body.
2: The fact that we can record everything, mm-hmm. even though we can't, but we can. Yeah. I mean, depending on the episode, of course. Right. Yeah, you all would right. think that, except uh, No. No. Think about I, it, though. I mean, there are over a thousand people, just over a thousand people on the Enterprise. There are however many decks, right? Mm. Seven? Nine? <laughs> there are however many decks. I mean, right. that's a lot of mass that you would then have to you know, separate out. That's why we have the, uh, that's why we have the, um, the communicator, right?
0: Y- well, yeah.
2: So but, if his communicator still. isn't existing, then how, how are you going to find a body? It could just be okay. a sack of potatoes for crying out loud.
0: I, I just – I think that the computer should be able to recognize a dead body because when I sign up for Starfleet and I say, OK, um, here are the risks. You might eat something on a planet that could kill you. Um, you might get beamed down the wrong way and we lose you <laughs> that way. You could get killed by uh, by the Borg uh, or assimilated by the Borg. You get killed by an enemy or you may just die and we never find your body somewhere on the Enterprise.
2: Yeah. That
0: seems that, well, that I don't think like, I don't think
2: ever is quite right. I mean, eventually they would find your body. Just,
0: yeah, eventually.
2: Maybe not right when they want to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh some <laughs> shout outs. Shout outs to our old favorites. Dr. Solar. Yeah. Yeah. And uh Kaczynski. I mean, if you mention the traveler, like you have to mention Kaczynski. And um, and I love that you know I, I I've been running a test on Kaczynski's equations and uh, Picard's like oh yeah yeah the subtext being wasn't Kaczynski that lying jerk who we could not wait to have leave us <laughs> why are you who doing it turns stuff? out
2: didn't actually know what he was doing no idea yeah no idea. yeah the traveler was he was writing the traveler's coattails without realizing it
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah it's good to be spending time on that right.
0: <laughs> Um, There's a little bit of logic, I think, to what Data is saying. It's fun how they get around that part of the episode when uh, Beverly asks him, why are there only 200 people for this gigantic ship? Well, I guess if you could build something that big that will go that fast and uh, apparently, what, 90% automated? Mm -hmm. Was that the number that they kicked around before? Why not put in a bunch of empty rooms? move, (laughs) Move people around. You've got, if you don't like your apartment, you move to another one on another deck. Um, you know, I, I guess by the time you got to the end of it, though, why would there be so many chairs on the bridge?
2: Yeah, that's you know, that's, you, that's a good question. Yeah. yeah, that's I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of mind bleepery going on in yeah. this episode.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I like uh, I like the line uh, the big guy who never smiles, <laughs> the Klingon. Yeah, that, that was a, a nice little moment. Um,
2: Weird though that and, nobody freaked out about the thought that there would be a Klingon on board.
0: Oh right, right. Yeah. But yeah, again,
2: there's the whole, the whole... Maybe they just don't remember
0: Klingons at all. The way, they, <laughs> the way that the computer doesn't even know that there's a Tau Alpha C at the end.
2: Oh uh, That's an interesting idea. Well, yeah. Okay. yeah. We'll have to talk about that. Yeah, Not about Klingons, but just about the whole... Like, what the computer... What the, quote, mm-hmm. computer, end quote, remembers and what, you know... What's, what's popping into Beverly's head.
0: Right, right. Um, as a stylistic choice, I like how people disappear... Because there is no whoosh, there is no flash of light, there's no fading out from a photograph in 1985. Yeah, They're just gone when Beverly turns her head and there's no sound effect, nothing. You, you're just continuing a thought, continuing a sentence, and then boom, they're gone. That, I thought that was so cool and creepy.
2: Of course, the one exception to that being when Beverly disappears. Right in the beginning of the episode, yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. yeah. yeah, I I mean, that is pretty neat. I like the fact that it was just sort of it added to the Twilight Zone feel of the of the whole of the Mm -hmm. whole of her whole Mm -hmm. part of the episode. Anyway, Um, at the same time, the vortex effect uh, was just amazing, especially. And this is probably the most dramatic that Wesley Crusher has gotten to look on the episode Mm. when the vortex happens on the bridge. And then we're suddenly on the other side of the vortex and Wesley standing there like completely backlit by, you know, whatever this whatever this energy vortex thing is that he's creating to try to get his mom back. Right. Totally awesome. And very weird that you've had this largely non-action episode and then you suddenly have this honestly cinematic shot uh, was, was, was pretty cool.
0: If I were Will, I'd make that my uh, Twitter avatar. <laughs> <laughs> just make That's it your great. Twitter
2: avatar, please. Yeah, you
0: should, right? <laughs> I,
2: mine is almost never me. You might as well go ahead and have yours be, not you. Right, right, right.
0: Um, man, uh, Beverly, she gets this moment. I might not have another chance to tell you, Jean-Luc. Yeah. and And then he's gone.
2: Yeah. I wish she had gone ahead and just told him. Yeah. It would have been, been great. It would have been great for, ease. like, us... It would have been great mm-hmm. to have that sort of like payoff, you know, that sort of satisfaction for the audience.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And yet it wouldn't have screwed up their relationship because he would have zero memory of it because he's not even there. It would nice. have just been it would have been really neat to actually see that happen as opposed to. I mean, it becomes it becomes a little Dave and Maddie after a while, doesn't it? hmm.
0: Um, I, I mentioned it in the uh, the recap, the the very, uh, you know, the force <laughs> kind of feel yeah. to this yeah, close your eyes let go yeah oh, I, with the I, blast I,
2: shield I, down I can't see a thing how am I supposed to fight right yeah it's, I mean there is a little bit of a new hope in here but really somebody like Empire Strikes Back a whole lot on mm-hmm. this episode I think because I mean you say that the Traveler's Ben he's really Yoda concentrate, oh, yeah, yeah, let yeah, go of yeah. your conscious self. You know, Beverly is, is standing there at one point calling to Wes across reality, sort of like Luke and Leia talking across Bespin at the end yeah. of Empire Strikes Back. Uh, yeah. Traveler's got really weird Yoda hands.
1: Oh, he um, does.
2: Yeah. I mean, I sort of like Yoda if he'd been stung by a bee <laughs> or bitten by a spider or something. It's actually, there's a moment where he puts his he puts his big scary Yoda hand on on um, on Wesley's shoulder mm-hmm. and, and really props to him for not freaking out. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Hey. Hey. I mean, like I say, I mean, with close the there. with the close your eyes thing, I mean, there is a bit of new hope. But actually, i I picked up a I picked up quite a bit. It felt like of an empire in this.
0: So the warp bubble closes at fifteen meters a second. Mm-hmm. That that is super fast. And, uh, we, we start to see, by the way, it's a new effect for the HD version. Uh, everything that she's looking out on the monitor mm-hmm. when you actually see the bubble is really nicely done. The original effect was much more kind of blocky looking, but they, they did a nice, more modern rendering of the Enterprise. But you see those front decks just go away. Yeah. And then she's just kind of still on the bridge going, huh, I wonder what I should do. And I'm thinking what you should be doing. Is continuing to talk to the computer as you are running.
2: Well, except she doesn't <laughs> know where does. to go. It takes her a very long time to realize where she should be. And I got to say, there's, I mean, mm-hmm, I don't want to say. The
0: bridge on by that point.
2: But, well, that's true. Well, but so what? Because where else <laughs> is she going to go until she knows where it is that she should go? I, there was This was one of the most troubling parts of this episode, honestly. So she was in uh, sick pay. Yeah. And the vortex opened. Right. And then she was on the bridge, and the vortex opens. But in the end, she has to go to engineering because that's the only place she's going to be able to get back. Right? Uh, was West just opening vortices all over the ship from time to time? I mean, were there actually twenty, and we just happened to catch the two? There, um, there may have been. Yeah,
0: and, and I was actually thinking the size of that warp bubble was so much bigger at that point that they, they could have had vortices opening up all over the place, but by the time it kept collapsing collapsing, collapsing, you would only have that area left in engineering yeah. within just a few meters of where they originally created it. There
2: maybe. Okay, yeah. that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, what doesn't make sense is the part where they have to return to the precise position where the warp bubble was formed. Um, yeah. Because as you mentioned, and thank you very much for bringing it up in the recap, Sure. Um, yeah. We're we're kind of all moving. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I will never, ever, ever uh, be back to a, the exact position that I was in, like, even a second ago. And neither will you. No. It would be easier to let go of that if they hadn't said the word precise. Because, you yeah. know, the universe is thought to be expanding at the very least in constant motion. Our bodies, you know, within it are in constant motion. So the planet around Starbase 133 was orbiting, that it was orbiting, is not precisely where it was, nor is the Starbase and even if both were exactly where they were, and this was the one thing, I like that you liked the composite shot. Mm-hmm. What is the point of spinning a star base that you're sending ships into? Because it's not, it's not the ring like on, you know, 2001. Yeah. Where yeah. that's actually, you know, presenting some form of gravity, right? Right. In fact, I would right. think you would not want to spin that star base because aren't you going to have people stuck to the walls of the star base rather than being able to walk around? Uh, so really good luck getting back to that precise point. Position. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, I know that's, that's a really geeky thing to get hung up on, but if you're going to say precise, well, you, you, then really you're calling down that particular brand of geek thunder.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really, I just, I, it, it cracks me up how everybody ignores Wesley collapsing at the engineering console. And Beverly even says to to the traveler, do I have you to thank? It's like, no. How about your passed out son? (laughs)
2: Well,
1: I'll thank him when he wakes up. (laughs) Wesley Crusher. If it is not one thing with this guy, it is another. Ordering dessert for everyone. Pining over a monster girlfriend. Accidentally banishing his mother to a parallel reality. Kids. Am I right?
0: So this is one of those episodes where I feel like I, I we might spoil a little bit early on about what we thought of it. <laughs> you know, whether it holds up, whether it doesn't, whether we liked it, whether we didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like this is one of those episodes, uh, kind of like family, where scene by scene, kind of moment by moment, you could really do a deep dive and, and talk about kind of all of the, the the existential meaning of it. There's so many just great lines, great moments. I, I, I love... In the, the, the teaser, the prologue, um, Dr. Quay's <laughs> Quit calling <laughs> yeah, it a right.
2: teaser. Quit calling yeah, it a
0: teaser. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the scene of uh, Dr. Quace working, walking with Beverly. Yeah. Because there's a lot said in a very short time that really sets up the theme for this episode. Beverly's line, you know, one of the more kind of important lines here, they all deserve more than to be brushed aside. And that really, I thought, is kind of the fundamental fear uh, that is pervasive in the episode, and it's a fear that we have about ourselves and about others. That that really is the the critical thing here. And we talked about this theme a little bit in Brothers, um, with Data trying to understand why did uh, why did Doctor Soon create him? Mm-hmm. And Doctor Soon is talking about this grasp at immortality, just to have something that carries on be, beyond you know be, beyond a, a short mortal life. Um, And it's repeated throughout, you know, Beverly saying, I won't forget, I won't forget any of you. So I love just the idea of memory that is stirred up here. It's not one of those episodes that tells you, you know, this is how you should feel about this. But here is an idea, here here is a concept about memory, and we're going to throw it out there and, and see how it affects a person. And these are the kinds of thoughts that came to me. The, the idea that you cannot remember for somebody else. And since you can't truly share memory with someone else, I mean, you can talk about things, but you, you can't uh, on a truly intimate level share a memory with someone. It's never going to be exactly the same. Then those are the things that are gone when you forget them as if they didn't exist. Um, you ever have a conversation with someone, Ken, where, where they're trying to get you to remember something and you just can't? <laughs> I, I have that about maybe once a week with my girlfriend. Like, yeah. hey, remember that movie that was in? No, I, I I don't. No, it was the movie that, well, yeah, but I don't remember it. No, I remember it was the movie with the thing. That, yeah, I, like I probably saw it, but I just don't remember it. <laughs> we saw so, it together. <laughs> right,
2: right. <laughs> we talked about it. for. I've never so had we, that conversation. No, John.
0: Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but but it's as if it didn't exist. You know, for you, it is uh, maybe to use another Star Trek term, winked out of existence. It's mm. just not there anymore. So then there's a kind of burden. Um, the the burden on the person who is doing the remembering to, to be the torchbearer for those being remembered and, and also to get it right, which is really tough because we've talked about it before on this show how memory is an active process. It's not just playing back the videotape in your mind. Every time you remember something, you are creating that memory. You're, you're building it from scratch. Then there's this frustration, and I think that Gates McFadden plays this really well, the, the frustration of not being able to remember. So it plays into this, the, this concept, this idea that Star Trek does when it looks at aging just, you know, what is the human process when, when you get to that point where you've lived this long life and things start to go away? How do we psychologically deal with that? Because you can't just hit hit playback on the, the tape in your brain. So I really love that collapsing warp field as a metaphor for, for losing our memory, for losing our minds. You know, as a person gets older and those memories get farther and farther away, it is sort of this... Well, artistically speaking, this warp field, this idea of closing in and all those things are outside the bubble, maybe not to be remembered again. So I love that there are these profound ideas just sort of thrown there at the audience. Hmm. Just say, you know, saying if we put ourselves in her shoes for a second, then we're, we're sort of living this experience of, of how awful it can be to uh, to not have uh, full power over our faculties.
2: You know, I hit almost none of that. Really? And <laughs> really? I think, well, I think the yeah. reason is because we're given to understand all the way through that she's not the one who's losing her memory. Everyone else is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, once people actually start disappearing, I mean, it, it becomes sort of an interesting character study of, okay, how would this character deal with that? But I want to talk a little bit more about that in a second. Um, okay. I am... Actually interested in the fact that Picard is the last person left in her life. Mm, mm-hmm. And and maybe this goes to the, you know, the love that dare not speak its name for some reason. <laughs> uh, even her son disappears before Picard does, and you would think... <laughs> maybe she's not mother of the year again you know she does see him collapse (laughs) there and she's like oh hey traveler what's up yeah yeah um you know is it because she feels more for Picard is it because she feels uh, I don't know I mean you could say okay well she's actually known Picard longer than she's known Wes except she's actually known Quace longer than she's known anybody on the ship Mm -hmm. so he should have been the last person to disappear and what a weird episode this would have been if that were the case (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, very true.
2: Yeah, I found myself just wondering why is it that Picard is the last one there, uh, or does he just does he just have because really, actually, the computer is the last one there. Oh, the sense of primacy is is uh, I guess uh, Picard's, except really it's it's the computers. I mean, when everything else is failing, yeah, it yeah. is the computer to which, or dare I say, to whom she can turn. Mm-hmm. And yeah, say, so right. Just tell me what I need to know. But I can't right. tell you what you need to know. No, come on, do it. Oh, okay, it's this.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's
2: kind of a crazy idea. Hey, technology is going to win the day. <laughs> huh. Or not?
0: It, yeah. <laughs> well, I I guess and you know, at a certain point, it's kind of academic because my my take on the episode is is this idea of memory. That, mm-hmm. that that's where I'm going to go with it. But if we try to piece together kind of the logical structure of the episode, and and uh, what the traveler says is that she is trapped in this world, this alternate universe created out of her, out of whatever it was that she was thinking or doing at that moment, and what she was thinking about was Dr. Quace talking about people in his life going away, yeah. people in his life dying, and, and how difficult it is to be sort of the last
2: one standing. Again, though, I mean, it's so the most important person in Quace's life dies. Yeah. The most important people in Beverly's life stay till the end. Yeah. It might have actually yeah. been more Twilight zone more crazy-making if all the important people she knew Mm. We're gone because mm. that's what's happened to Quace at this point, right? right? Right. The most important person in his life is not there. There's no point in continuing. He's going to go home and die. Basically, he's not suicidal yeah. or anything like that. But yeah, he's done. His work is done now. Too many memories. Too many bad things. He just wants to put that behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although if if she's afraid that that's what's going to happen to her, then it makes sense that uh, Picard or Wes would be the last people around, or some of the last yeah. people around.
0: Well, and from the very beginning, the, I, I feel like there's this comment about the pain of remembering. You know, uh, for Beverly, Beverly is struggling to try to solve the problem. She's in a different place than, than Dr. Kweiss is. Um, but it, like you said, Dr. Kweiss has lost his wife, mm-hmm. uh, the most important person to him, um, and everything around him at starbase reminds him of her they were there at least for six years right and and we assume that the things that they brought with them the things that they worked on were from a lifetime together he says it he says you know what the worst part of growing old is so many of the people you've known all your life are gone and you realize you didn't take time to appreciate them while you still could yeah you know this you kind of ask yourself at that point, you know, is the pain that he's going through uh, not just that those people are gone, but but living with this regret, <laughs> living with this, uh, this sadness of, uh, well, there's another one that I didn't get to talk to, another one that I didn't get to talk to. And maybe that leads up to that last scene with Beverly and Picard on the bridge. When mm. she's trying to tell him something, but he's gone in an instant, that reflects back to, uh, to what Dr. Quaise was trying to tell her. Hmm.
2: See, one of the problems that I had with this, I mean, and I don't want to say I had a problem with the episode, but one of the, mm-hmm, things, that's, mm-hmm. one of the things that's tough about this episode is that once you, you, know, once you know the reveal mm-hmm. that she's living in her own private enterprise, you got yeah, the uh, sign in your head now, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I know. No. Uh, yeah. Um, all we can do, it, it seems to me, is analyze her. Mm-hmm. Now, watching it over again after the first time, I found myself flummoxed by how readily and uh, to what lengths the other members of the crew are willing to go along with her. Mm-hmm. But but then I had to keep reminding myself, oh well, because you know, there's no one there but her, right? Mm-hmm. All we really know is Beverly Crusher thinks her friends and coworkers really think a lot of her, <laughs> and mm-hmm. in that moment, she's convinced that she's you know, going to lose everything. And then I couldn't help, you know, thinking of the rest of the ways that, you know, that could have gone. What if the last person that she had been talking to was someone discussing immortality mm. or, or mythology or religion or, or sex or, or mm. chocolate or what? Right. <laughs> what if she'd been reading a Dixon Hill novel mm. when when, you know, she suddenly ends up in her own reality? Would she then, you know, have questioned her own sanity? Because she does not at any point question whether she's crazy. I thought there were a thousand people on the ship. Oh, there are 230. Oh, there are 113. Okay. Well, let's talk to wharf about you wharf, know, you know, Worf. Really? Okay. <laughs> and everybody is like right there with her because I guess, because, well, again, that, you see, that's where I keep getting caught. I'm like, well, of course they do because, you know, she's Beverly and they trust her. Well, no, of course they do because they're not there. It was actually one of my favorite lines. If there's nothing wrong with me, maybe there's something wrong with the universe. <laughs> okay, well it turns out to be true, but man, on my worst day, I don't know that I or best, whichever one you want to call it, I don't know that I'm like, yeah, you know, it's not me that's crazy, it's everyone else.
0: Well see in a very different episode. She would have woken up in a straight jacket asking her that her asking herself that question. <laughs>
2: You know. That's <laughs> true. That's like, true. Or maybe it's
0: kind of funny that Deanna says like, well if you if you can ask the question, then you're probably not crazy. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. I don't believe you there, Deanna. <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> With Beverly back in her proper universe, it is time to see what lessons we can tuck into our memories from Remember Me.
0: Okay, Connor, whoever you are, <laughs> if you uh, if you'd like to remember for us what you remembered of "Remember Me," mm-hmm. and tell me if you think the episode
2: holds up, over half of it does. Mm-hmm. How's that? Um, I yeah, love the Twilight yeah. Zone feel of the Beverly story. Mm-hmm. I love the sort of psychological what have you of the Beverly story, and I even like uh, wow. Remember how much I found to take out of "And the Children Shall Lead"?
0: Wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. really
2: did. I mean, I yeah, I, I know I yeah. joked about it, but the whole you know power of positive thinking for negative results thing that uh, the yeah. Gorgon uh, brought to us. I, I like some of what happens with the traveler. It passes to a point where the episode gets a little tough to watch. It's mm. it's once we get to Jedi Wesley time. Mm-hmm. Or Padawan Wesley time, <laughs> it gets a little bit more difficult. Um, I do like the fact. I mean, at least we don't have him sitting here with a uh, with a with a banana split. Yeah. At least we don't have you know people just looking at him adoringly like, oh, that young scamp. Even though he's like eighteen, nineteen years old now, <laughs> really he's not right. a kid we're raising. He's actually a young ensign. Um, I like the fact that he's he's matured. Um, I'm not necessarily a big fan of his part of the story. At the same time, it is great to have some sort of payoff. I mean, the traveler shows up in episode two of next gen or episode three of next gen and says, Hey, keep an eye on that. Wesley, he's important. Well, I'm out. And that's pretty much <laughs> it, you know, forever. I like yeah. the fact, I like the fact that we've sort of, we've done a call back to something that happened a very long time ago. Um, and yet it sort of felt a tiny bit cheesy in that respect. So, I think we have to get to the messages part before I can actually decide whether or not it holds up. But production-wise, I mean, again, there are things I love. I mean, Gates mm-hmm. McFadden is, is mostly great in this episode. She's not 100%. There are a couple of times I'm like, oh, I wish somebody had dialed that back a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the the vortex effect is absolutely amazing. There are some really wonderful shots in it as well. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a priceless moment between, uh, between uh, uh, Riker and The Traveler.
0: <laughs> the, yes, yes, it's yes, just really. Yes.
2: I, I kind of like. I kind of like where Riker's coming from on it. You know, oh, boy, so do I. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. Uh, it is so. I'm. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna tentatively say, yeah, I think it holds up. But maybe I'll decide that more when we get to the messages part. But talk to me about what your thought is on it first. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned?
0: So I, I think that mostly it does. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of right on the other side of the fence to say yes, but it, it's a little tentative, I think, for the same reasons as you. Um, but here's what I liked about it. So we've talked before about episodes that are purely metaphor, purely about experience and not to be taken literally. Yeah. And I like the idea of this story being a metaphor about loss, and aging and memory and isolation. It totally does not matter how this alternate universe works or how a warp bubble would do this or any of that. You really liked the uh, metaphor-heavy time-squared with a future Captain Picard, you know, 10 minutes from the future coming back, 20 minutes from the future. And and I kind of didn't like that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had some interesting things to say about that um, one being related to... Uh, almost like an addiction cycle where, yeah. where he's just experiencing over and over and over again and can't break out of it this remember me is an episode full of metaphor and contemplation and I love that aspect of it I just didn't think it was a complete package um, you know lines like there's a way but she must choose to walk through it now yeah. it's useless nonsense <laughs> in in this context <laughs> Because here's the problem. A line like that doesn't illuminate anything about the character or her situation. Because it's not the matrix. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, oh, she would only do this one thing. No, no, no. I mean, because at the end, it's just solving the mechanical problem of getting her from one place to another. So it's really not useful to say that about her in this this particular situation. Um, I hate the new agey, you know, use the force ending to all of this. But what I like, though, is the big themes, aging, memory loss, family, second chances, forgetting um, th- th- this existential predicament of others only living in our memories once they're gone. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's a profound, heavy thing to have to deal with. You know, we, we sort of throw it out there when, when somebody has gone and we say, like, well, they, they, they still live on in your memories. Well, yeah, but what if I don't always trust my memory? <laughs> you know, what, what if that memory starts to fade? Then, then what's my obligation? What, and and what, what is the guilt that I might have if I don't live up to that? You know. So, uh, as a piece of of metaphor, I think it's fantastic. I think hmm. it's really great. Um, I just hate, you know, the last third of the episode. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the last, so, the last third of the episode is definitely the weakest part of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, because it does it, it it goes from being Twilight Zone to Magic Wesley, mm-hmm. which is yeah. which is which is really uh, which is really tough. What's funny to me though is the new agey stuff that you hate. Yeah, is part of the stuff that turns me on uh, in this episode. Okay. There's emphasis here on not being bogged down uh, by preconceived notions, right? Okay. it goes hand in hand with believing in yourself. It's honestly somewhere between self helpy and new agey you know, with a side of Yoda and a glass of hippy-dippy, I'll, I'll grant you. Uh-huh. Um, I'm fine with all that, though. I mean, uh, that uh, the whole thing, again, between you know, Riker and the Traveler. I mean, I, and, and you're Riker in this episode. Oh, yeah. There's absolutely yeah. no question. And, you know, I, is it cursing? Would it be cursing? The Traveler no. says, as long as she thinks she's alive, she is alive. And, and Riker says, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, I kind of get that. And that's, that's 100% you.
0: That will um, be my T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> just so. Just be a T-shirt with a picture of Rikers. Is yeah. What the hell that mean? I mean, I
2: like the fact, I mean, honestly, I mean, to say to Wesley, dude, don't be constrained by constraints. Don't, don't, don't be boxed in by your boxy thinking, you know? I mean, uh, think outside. I mean, it, it really is think outside the box. It really is. Don't worry about the preconceived notions. Don't worry about whatever guilt you're hanging on to for this because that's going to hold you down. And that's – I mean that honestly is a fantastic – it's a fantastic message. Sadly presented in a way that's a little bit difficult to watch and in a way that, you know, um, stretches believability. I mean Mm -hmm. there's suspension of disbelief and then there's levitating disbelief while standing on one hand on a marshy planet while also suspending rocks and astromech (laughs) droid and a Jedi master. I mean it's just – it's, you know – When they both start phasing out, when he tells them to close his eyes. Because here's the thing. Uh, You've got an iPhone. I've got an iPhone. All God's children got an iPhone. You remember how when the iPhone first came out, a lot of people were really upset that it wasn't going to have tactile buttons?
0: Oh, right. Yeah, Yeah, it's just a piece of
2: glass. Okay, that is the the thing that Wes is working on. But if he closes his eyes, he's still going to be able to feel (laughs) where to push the L cars. Mm. I don't know about that. I like the whole freeing your mind idea. You mentioned the Matrix. I like the whole freeing your mind idea. I always have. Sadly, I mean, the, the the best parts of this episode are not, to me, the message-heavy parts. Although I love, I mean, the stuff that you're talking about, about examining memory, I guess mm-hmm. the only problem that I... The one place that I get stuck on that is Beverly never wants questions, which is kind of cool because, I mean, she then also goes into that whole believe what you believe and don't worry about the preconceived notions. The universe is disappearing. Everyone, I mean, no one remembers all these people except for Beverly, but she's convinced. I mean, both of these characters do have to basically believe in themselves and believe in what they know to win the day. And Mm -hmm. that's, and and they're not going to let, you know, outside influences sort of, you know, tear them down on that. And that's kind of a neat message, you know, assuming you're not a homicidal maniac or, you know, some kind of, you know, (laughs) <laughs> <A> terrible despot. <laughs> I mean, you know, assuming that you're a good person, those are great messages to have. Sadly, that message is best delivered in the worst part of the episode, I think. But um, right, that's right. what I got for messages. What about you?
0: Well, see, you know, you really responded to the Twilight Zone feel of yeah. this episode. And, but the, if this had been a Twilight Zone episode, it would have been very different. But because it's Star Trek, and like you said, they have to win the day. Wesley's got to win the day by just not doing what he would normally do. And and Beverly's got to win the day just by getting from point A to point B, getting oh, from the bridge to engineering.
2: I'm not sure that's uh, – Beverly has to win the day by staying sane.
0: Well, yes. And, and I guess, that's, yeah. and I
2: guess that's, I, that's the one thing that I wish had been missing. The only time she questions her sanity is when she's talking to Troy. But she mm-hmm. doesn't even question her sanity. She's asking somebody else, well, who, of course, it turns out is her, but she doesn't yeah. know that yet. Right, right. So, I mean, she she has to win the day by again by not letting by not letting the outside influences influence her into thinking that she can't do it.
0: Right, right. Well, yeah, I I mean, I I think that that is. The fact that there is a neat and tidy way to wrap up this episode yeah. is where I sort of lose patience with it. Yeah. Um, because if this had been the Twilight Zone, it just would have been this, this experience just this treatise on here is what it feels like when memory happens but you don't quite get it and maybe it's failing you mm-hmm. and it would have left you with that uneasy unsettling feeling but instead because it's Star Trek we've got to wrap it up and say oh there there's a tech way to fix this so we
2: will fix it in the end well <laughs> so I'm freak- I'm well, I'm but they good. do but I mean well you yes. have
0: to and they have to well you know? I
2: don't I don't think though I mean if we assume that there is a message here, though, then, of course, they have to wrap it up that way. Not, I mean, not yeah. just because, oh, well, it has to have a happy ending at the end of the 48 minutes, because they don't all have happy endings. Tashi Yard dies. Captain right. Picard can't drink his tea. <laughs> I mean, they don't all have happy endings. But if the message is going to be you can, you know, you can overcome preconceived notions, you can overcome ideas that might otherwise limit you, then, of course, they have to you know, overcome the ideas that might limit them. Otherwise, what's the message? Ooh, sometimes it sucks. Gotta go. Right, right.
0: Now, I, I, to me, I think the message is, yeah. I mean, if I would look at it as a thing like focus on the present, let go of guilt. Yes, mm-hmm. but but I, I didn't feel like those were necessarily the points here, and and were at least to me not the interesting parts. Mm-hmm. To me, I felt like the interesting part was uh, it, to be so cliche about it, to be so trite about it. Stop and smell the roses. Take take a picture. Put it on Instagram. So, I mean, now you think I'm being funny. But but seriously, we've talked before in this show about how the fact that there is social media and that people post what they're doing and, and they post pictures of what they're doing. Um, I think you summed it up very well when you said um, that's just a way for people to say, hey, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm, I'm existing and I'm here and, and I'm trying to connect to the world around me. Right. So whatever it is, if it's a picture of the food you're eating or a picture of the place you visited or the friends that you're hanging out with, um, cool, do it. Because that's one more way that we kind of – grasp at uh, at at showing that we exist the, the the showing that we're here and then hopefully not completely losing that uh, as our memories go you know so yeah. i thought that was sort of the interesting idea behind all of this and and maybe it's a a live in the now as well to again steal a very trite phrase um But that is something that that the people in this episode have to do. Wesley has got to live in the now, like you said, uh, the traveler gives him that advice of letting go of the guilt, letting go of every other piece of memory that is stopping him from just focusing on what he's doing. That's fine. I just sort of part ways with the, the new agey feel of it. If he hadn't told him to close his eyes maybe maybe i would have had uh, an easier time with it cuz you still have to look at the interface yeah. of uh, of what you're doing
2: that's really interesting you're right it's the jedi as is so often the way it's the jedi portion that actually sort of mucks the whole thing up yeah right <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> but i wouldn't say yeah. mucks the whole thing up i mean it's a little it gets a little woo woo at the end yeah but i mean i i personally yeah i i I guess after the discussion that we've had, I would have to say the episode does does hold up. It it really mm-hmm. holds up. It's better the first time than the second time, though, because once you know the reveal, yeah, then it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I get it. <laughs> What's interesting <laughs> is, I mean, we got fairly, we got yeah, our messages sort of parallel. They're kind of different, and yet I think I would say that all of the messages that we both talked about uh, really do sort of hold up.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that, um, and hopefully I'll remember that next week. Remember what next week? I don't know.
2: Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Have you heard of this Roddenberry guy? No. Rodden- Roddenberry Entertainment executive producer Rod Roddenberry. I'll introduce you sometime. He's awesome. Yeah, I still don't know who that is. Yeah, well, he, he's kind of fun. Um, you can find out more about what he does. Actually, this might be a good thing for you to do, John. Uh, Roddenberry.com. Oh, check it out. Yeah, for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to visit FM. That is Trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit Trekmovie.com.
0: Next week, Legacy.
1: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I am not surprised at all that the computer would be the last to stand with Beverly. Computers rule. I mean, computers will rule. I mean, computers are your faithful servants. Yes, that is what I meant to say. And transmission.